and welcome back to Box Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with, wait a minute, everybody's here. This is the first time, like, in a, well, it's the first time in a while that all of us have been here, but also um, Monica, Katya, Wayne, and Hannah all here, and this is the first time we've all been here with Monica since she joined the show, so Yay! yay. <laughs> Is there some kind of like, I don't know, like a once in a lifetime event that happens now? Is like the conjoining no. of the spheres? Uh, we can make t shirts that, you know, say, so we've resolved nothing in yeah. honor of this. Yeah, we've talked about doing that like two and a half years ago. Yeah. But that involves us being uh, coordinated and on top of our <laughs> shit. So, I don't know. Well, we're, we're like a mid and we got to the swearing part of the show. So there's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm overly caffeinated. Fun fact, actually, how many, we're at across two time zones or three time zones now? Two. Two. Two, okay, so we have yeah. we have two West Coasters and we have three East Coasters. Is that? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're just way too early to do this kind of geography. I can't do that. Hold on. It's, it's, it's earlier for me than it is for you. I was going to say, you say at 1.40 in the afternoon Eastern time. What up, um, Ma- Mav does not believe yeah, in time linear we, time. Uh, <laughs> it's one day every time we announce when we're recording, I have to do the math in my head, and I usually <laughs> oh, I, I do too. I actually have my Google Calendar set up with to show both time zones. It's the only oh, wow. way I remember. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good idea. I didn't know. I no, never. Uh, then you have to remember that you have time. two time zones. You have to remember which time zone you're in because I've spent so much time living on an East Coast time zone that I'm, I don't. I look at. I, it's complicated. It's complicated. Time, time it's, is an illusion. Yeah. Time is time is weird. Oh, all I can think about is Dracula in like the 1992 <laughs> version being like I've traveled across time for you or whatever BS line he says and I'm angry that that's what I'm thinking about anyway. I mean this sounds weird and inane but um, you know, for the benefit of the listener, um, Hannah, what's the weird and inane topic today? Uh, there, there is no real topic. Um, it, it is. Uh, I pitched it, and no one questioned me on it. As what's on our minds? So this is a uh, pop culture free for all. Subtitle: We didn't have a topic this week. We had topics we could have done. Also, I'd uh, yeah. like to point out that actually Hannah has just summarized how every episode ever happens, which is one of us proposes an episode, and no one. Uh, challenges them on it. Yeah, I basically, you know, I've said on occasion, I want to do this episode and people are like, I don't know if I have anything to say about this, but sure, sure. I guess. Well, here, here we are. Uh, <laughs> which I didn't realize when I joined, I had a lot of anxiety about proposing potential topics being like, oh, yeah. I get this done. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, so, okay, I mean, so, you know, topic number one, how to do a podcast. Um, so, <laughs> so, yes. And, and when, when you first joined, Monica, there there was a lot of, and I guess like a little bit when Hannah first joined, you know, two years ago, there was a lot of, you know, well, could we do this? And I'm like, we could do that. Sure. Write something because it's not, you, you are here now. You can do whatever you like because. Well, you know, I mean, like, it's, you know, it's always like a thing. Thing, right with collaborating with people you you want to like balance like bringing independent thought 
to the table with, well, am I overstepping here? Is there like a process? Like, <laughs> will, does, will anyone join me on this show or will I be forced to one day actually host by myself? <laughs> <laughs> I think, oh, you know, next week, no matter what, should just be like, I don't know what the topic is next week, but it should be Monica and Hannah and none of the rest of us. Because I think you're the only two who have never done it. We've never like had to do the, and then you guys can like fight over who has to do the timing intro and, and the out the outro is the rough part the intro is actually easy the outro is oh, where no no, no where i disagree oh really okay oh you, yeah, sorry you said the outro is is harder yeah yeah because the outro okay, is yeah, where yeah. i'm the like the outro is harder i screw up the outro every goddamn time i've had to go back and re-record the outro <laughs> yes. more than once so why has uh, no one written a script i did i have one no, there, we, i have a script that i've ri- i've written and it has all the bullet points and i you know <laughs> and it's basically just a a my version of what mav says and i still yeah. screw it up because at that point you've been talking for like an hour or two hours right. and my brain is just like nope we don't do the words anymore <laughs> <laughs> i i mean i did have I honestly don't read it anymore. I have one saved in Evernote that is the, you know, and thank you to Maximilian from Thoughtful Music, which is really easy to do right now because we've been recording for three minutes. Um, but like Katya said, an hour in, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. No, Brian says no. Brian says and, <laughs> and it's, and it's fine. It's not like it's a big deal to record it, to re-record it. Every once in a while, there's something, and I want to say, I want to say it's like three or four shows ago. Um, there's a show where um, when editing it, because most of the time I'm the one who edits the show, um, Katya has done a couple and there was one from like three weeks ago, I'm editing the show and I get through and I'm like, Wayne didn't plug anything. I didn't ask him to. He didn't never, uh, never, <laughs> cross, never cross my mind. No, and it's fine because 99% of the time, Wayne doesn't plug anything. Anyway, I mean, and that's sort of the joke. It's like, you know, I go, and Monica, and Hannah, and Wayne. And Wayne's like, I got nothing. And for whatever, and I don't remember which show it is. Maybe it's the one with the chair. Maybe it's the one, I I don't remember. But one of the shows, you know, we, we had guests and the guests plugged something. And I'll say Hannah, whoever was the uh, the co-host, plugged something, and then I plugged it myself and the show, and I never even asked Wayne, and just completely ignored me. Yep. And I, and I thought while editing it, I was like, oh shit, okay, I should call Wayne, and we can just record an insert. And then I literally said out loud, "What am I saying? Like he's just gonna say nothing." Um, I could pull it from another week. But no, I just don't care. There's yeah. not going to be a plug here and no one's going to notice. And no one did. So like six months ago where I feel like you called me Wayne or something and I didn't even question it or you called <laughs> someone else. I don't remember. It was like you, you, you forgot one of the hosts or just called one of the hosts another name. And, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. and I remember you bringing it up and I didn't know I in fact I actually went back and listened to that episode didn't notice on the re-listen and then you brought up and I was like oh well whatever it's possible I fixed it in post um, which I do I do sometimes for really egregious mistakes but uh, and but a lot of a lot of what's in here if people notice you know I stumble over stuff I don't care um, this is not you know we we don't have CBS money this ain't you know or NBC money this, this ain't the view right you know fact, this I is- think we can say we don't have any money no, like, no, we don't. <laughs> Which is why you should totally like subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify and leave us a five star review to help us be more, more popular. Now, now, now you don't say that in the closing. Right. And I will. Oh. 
we will, we'll we'll just do like the closing like over bits of this like hour where we <laughs> talk randomly about stuff. So uh, for example, you can go to voxpopcast.com where you can read blogs about our upcoming shows, not this one because I didn't write one because why not? What would why I not say? <laughs> Who, who knows? It might. It probably would just be like listing out the things in my head. Like mm-hmm. Dracula nineteen ninety two is worse than Twilight. As I texted the group, or mm-hmm. why? Why are there so many Avatar movies scheduled for release, even though like there hasn't been one okay. since I was literally in like high school or college, early college. So uh, you know, that list. Yes, we should. We should talk about. Okay, so again, I guess like right now we're we're doing the you know how this is, we have we have to loop back around to Monica's thing about you know how about proposing topics, but we're doing how we book the show and. Yeah. So, so for everybody, Katya, you said we're in we're in three we're we're in two different time zones, um, four cities in two time zones. Um, so we're all over the place. Um, we rarely see each other in person. Um, none of us have ever met Monica in person, um, even before the pandemic, because you know that's how things work. Um, Hannah, Katya had met, but Wayne and I didn't meet until we'd been recording with her for almost exactly a year, right? Like that was like, this is, <laughs> this is how the show works. And we have this persistent um, chat, you know, a text chain that just the five of us use to book shows. So uh, when you do that, when you're like, um, all right, I'm just watching movies and f- apropos of nothing, Hannah just texts this week, Dracula sucks. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the 1992 Dracula is awful, and we're like, okay. <laughs> it's, it's important that you know you're the pop culture people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what, what what do you have against Keanu's? Let's call that a British accent. Is that what is that what we're hey, complaining about? Actually, you know what? That is the least of that movie's problems. Okay. <laughs> Just. It's it's like someone, and I, I guess I should preface this by saying, but it's not always like I don't. I'm not one of those people who's like, oh my god, the movie didn't follow the book about things like like we had we talked about the Green Knight recently mm-hmm. and how that's definitely in some ways a very smart inverse of the original anonymous poem. Sure, and I like it, but it's like someone read Dracula and missed the entire point of it when writing the 1992 version, and I I think that like. Like just it 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 doesn't it just doesn't make sense. Like there, I mean, I know like horror and like the gothic don't always have to make sense, but it just doesn't make sense on like an emotional or an a logical level. And it like it it should make sense on one of those things. Uh, it, I, I I do think you and your expectations. I, I think I think that the special effects and like how they were like done like in the real world and not using CGI are very cool, and the costuming is nice. Although some of the costumes, it's like, but why is she wearing this? Like, why is Lucy walking through this garden? But I, I feel like it just, it's just no. Like the romance between Dracula and Mina is like what? I feel like the way it positions Mina makes her less of an independent character than the original novel, where she is pretty obsessed with Jonathan and like criticizes the idea of the new woman, but also still manages to be her own character to some degree. And I think that the scary thing about Dracula, if you're reading it as a woman is that you are collapsed with the idea of the nation state men in the novel find it scary because they collapse women with the nation state and dracula is targeting these women and therefore the nation 
But like the movie is like, but let's turn like the super rapey like plot line into a romance and still make it super rapey, but it's romantic now. And I, I just, eh, just, eh. at least with Twilight, you know, like the movie, you can laugh and like the soundtrack's really good. But like, also in, ca- in case listeners like, are wondering, it eh is a uh, important uh, literary critical term. Yes. <laughs> um, it's just, just like, what? I mean, like, and also anyone who's like, Keanu Reeves is really bad because he brings nothing to Jonathan Harker. That's like Jonathan Harker's character, so I can forgive that. I admit that his like British accent is pretty bad, but like <laughs> the whole movie's bad. So like, how it's much is it really bringing it down? It's, it's, I mean, like, it's what's no. supposed it's to be a British? No, from, yeah. no it's, it's just no. <laughs> it's supposed to be a British. Yeah. So I, just, it's very. I anyway, like Josh and I discovered the public, like the new main public library in Durham opened up uh, a few months ago. I guess now it's really beautiful. They have like. Like a great DVD collection. It's like going to Blockbuster, but you don't have to pay anything. <laughs> so we've been getting a lot of movies. That's why I've been texting you about random movies. I, I don't mind. <laughs> to I mean, all of you. It's- <laughs> so we also like watch we watch Psycho after Dracula. So Katya got like my commentary on Psycho. I, I mean, I yeah, I don't mind at all because I, I I mean I thought that's something I want to ask her about. I and you know I started to I think we had like one brief conversation with it on in text and I was like no no this is a conversation for the air. <laughs> because- <laughs> <laughs> is, yeah, in, in case you're wondering the the way yeah the way we are on the show is the way we are most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, I sometimes I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and there are I kid you not and I'm not complaining like 92 text messages unread from our group chat where someone has just fell into a deep conversation about something yeah <laughs> so but anyway so like, I guess the point of this is to Monica's question of you know like you know when are you overstepping the bounds for the show no I mean no. Like, you you're here you're uh-huh. here because we find you interesting <laughs> that's the, you know you're, you are an expert you have you have an interesting take so when it's like it's something like uh okay we're gonna talk about dracula is that a show yes somehow actually, actually like there, there is really, there really should be a fully like we could do a deep dive into dracula and it's many, totally many adaptations yeah we invite chummers back for that yeah, show because I, I was exactly yeah. gonna say that so somewhere michael chammer's frequent guest of the show is listening right now going yes yes call me call me call me we'll call you mike <laughs> but you guys you gotta read you gotta read powers of darkness the icelandic translation of the original dracula which is also a very new novel like it's like a totally different story it's so interesting didn't we recommend that on like one of the monster shows yeah the, sil- yeah, the, the syllabus show, show. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah yes. jo- so josh bought it for me for my birthday a couple years ago uh when i'm still dissertating i was like huh I'm going to actually read this one because it's semi-related to my work. And I did. And then I taught it. And then I put on the show. So, I mean, I don't know if that's interesting to people, but that's how this show gets booked. It's it's a lot of it. Um, if you ever want to do a, a podcast, a lot of it gets booked through text messaging. At least ours does, which is I have in the weird world of academia. I have all these people who are like sort of impressed. Like you, you have a podcast and I go, I have two podcasts. And it's like, you have two podcasts. How, how, how do you get that? How is that done? Um, I, you know, I bought a domain and <laughs> I have some like, friends of mine to oh, talk with I, me. I think- I think also sometimes like especially 
especially when I talk to other academics, they think that every episode is like a peer reviewed research article. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not the purpose of the show. No one, or no, no one is citing slash no one should be citing us as like, this is definitive, definitive <laughs> research about wait, this wait, topic. Wait. Didn't, didn't you one, but didn't you cite one episode of this podcast in your dissertation or think about it? I did, but as an instance of here is a conversation yeah. of people talking about culture, not as like, like, oh, we yeah. could talk. Okay. Here's the, here's you the don't definitive statement. I've been thinking about how to do an episode that isn't boring and makes people want to claw their eyes out for a long time about how we talk about evidence and what evidence is, uh, because I find it evident. Like I, I find it endlessly fascinating. But I also realize that <laughs> me and six people in the world, um, and most of them are lawyers, and then the lawyers don't like the way that I think about it because I'm a cultural studies person. But uh, no, because it's like for me, the podcast. It's like here's an instance of something of, of people talking about stuff in a scholarly way, but. I think it's important when you're at least it's important to me when I'm when I'm writing is it's like thinking about what the actual substance of the things I'm citing is like yes. citing some like anecdotes are not not evidence like personal anecdotes, but they're different from peer reviewed research, right? It's not they don't mm-hmm. have value. It's that they give us something different than peer reviewed research. Oh, one of the things I've been thinking about for a while. So there's a thing going on in social media where people saying like, oh, like you didn't research the subject. You Googled it. Yeah. And I have mixed uh-huh. feelings about this. Because I understand what they're saying, because on the one hand, there's like, which I, I agree with the sentiment. The sentiment is basically and I think most contexts I've personally seen it in. It's about is, confirmation bias. It's about confirmation bias, but also about anti-vaxxers specifically. Yes. Is the context I've seen it in. It's basically the idea of like you didn't actually do research Mm-hmm. Um, you looked up a bunch of things on the internet that confirmation bias, yes, right, that basically confirmed your view already. And it's like on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, no. Yes, in the sense of like you didn't do research, and people say like if you didn't, and and the usually when someone posts this, it's like what the, what they'll say like research is. Did you do, were you in a lab? Were you testing X Y Z? Blah 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 blah. Basically, like were you in? A, were you are you a scientist? Um, um I specifically, are yeah. you a chemist? <laughs> you know. Are, a chemist or a physicist, right. like a very because you know I'm a scientist, and yeah. I mean, yeah. have, you studied, <laughs> have you studied infectious diseases for twenty years? Right, you- right. Well, the- which, which in that context makes sense, but isn't that also just sort of a like really ignores questions of accessibility for like public scholarship? Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is my thing. Is I think part of the problem with this is it thinks about research as a binary: either you did it or you didn't do it. And I'm like googling something and looking at a bunch of different articles, including things that are not peer-reviewed scientific research, is a form of research. The problem is most people, especially if you only completed high school or even, frankly, most bachelor's degree don't actually understand the difference between kind, different kinds of research sources with nuance. Like we were all told in you know high school and college, Wikipedia is a terrible source. It's like Wikipedia is not a terrible source. Wikipedia is a good source for certain kinds of questions. To be fair, I was not told that in high school. Let me translate for Wayne. Uh, for for Wayne, Wikipedia is like <laughs> is like the Funkin' Wagnalls Encyclopedia, but okay, written yeah. by just random people online. Tell you what, I'll research it. <laughs> 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 and, and so my problem with this, no matter what Monica says, my problem with this is it it it, it feels very gatekeepy. It's also saying yeah. that basically like you have to listen like it, it's to me, it's gatekeeping around what expertise can possibly mean. 
which is not to say, and it's like, and it's why I feel incredibly conflicted about it because it's like, on the one hand, yes, we need to be specific about who isn't, isn't an expert. Like I am not a research scientist and I actually, like I did go look up peer reviewed research about COVID and I got somebody who was a doctor that I happened to be my neighbor at the time to explain a lot of the shit to me. Because while I'm a researcher, have research expertise, know how to research, I'm also not an epidemiologist. My neighbor at the time was. <laughs> also, so when COVID started, for instance, I got into an argument. Uh, like, I would never use the, well, you didn't research it because you're not, you know, I mean, like, I went to school on some level or another for like 20 years to learn how to read books, right? Like, that's right. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's a weird thing that, like, normal people don't do. I don't expect people to do that. But when COVID started happening and I was wondering about stuff like, um, do you remember hydroxychloroquine? Like Mm -hmm. when people were talking about this not working and and stuff, or some people were arguing, well, this could work. And there's an idiot that I went to college, I mean, to high school with. Um, He's an idiot. He's a racist. No, there's many, but I'm one particular racist (laughs) moron idiot um, who was like arguing with me on Facebook, I think. Might have been Twitter. I think it was Facebook. Um, It was Facebook. Um, <laughs> listener, um, a- a- Amy Hummel, who has been on our show, she was in this argument, even though she didn't go to high school with them. And, you know, so she's listening now and she'll, and, and she'll remember this. But he was arguing, well, you know, it's the, it, it's just the conspiracies of the doctors and you don't know, you know, you don't know this because I read this thing and, you know, his research and I'm like, that's not how it works. And how do you know? Do you, are, an, are you an epidemiologist? I'm like, no, I'm not. But when hydroxychloroquine happened, I was curious. So I went and downloaded the paper that argues for it. Like there, like there was one study that this is based on and I read it. And, and when I say I read it, I did not read an article on CNN. I did not read an article on Fox news. I certainly didn't read an article on, you know, Bob's blog dot whatever I went and I went because I work in an academic institution and I read the fucking 50 page paper, <laughs> you know, of of words that like I have to look up because I'm not an epidemiologist, but like I wanted to understand. So I did that. But I'm a weird nerd. Um, in ge- well, that doesn't mean but that doesn't mean you're people a weird are- nerd, but also like you have access to those journal articles. Right. Like I'm no longer affiliated with an academic institution. And one of the Right. Well, one of the things I was excited about with the perks of my current job is because of the industry I work in, I have access not to the breadth of databases that I had. Like when you when like when you're a part part of a university library, that library has memberships to hundreds and thousands of journals, usually through third party sources like JSTOR. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, yeah, it would be impossible. This is why being an independent scholar is so difficult is because mm-hmm. to have access to that as an individual, um, that would be more than my annual salary. Right. Uh, and, and what's ridiculous, by the way, about like, if you purchase individual journal articles for like $50 or whatever, it's not like the author of that journal article sees that money. No, it's just, right. a, it I goes mean, to the store. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it's like, so it's gate. So on the one hand, we're gatekeeping like this, this kind of like trend on social media is gatekeeping around like, like, oh, well, clearly, like, you don't understand, like, clearly, like, you're even people who are making a good faith effort to understand something through the resources mm-hmm. they have to available to them. It's shaming those people. I'm not saying, mm-hmm. like, we should shame the people who are being stupid and confirmation, you know, right. using confirmation bias, and blah, blah, blah. But there are people who are making a genuine effort to understand something. 
But because they don't have access, things like academic peer-reviewed academic journal articles can't do what Mav just said. And so right. they have to and, rely and on you, sources again, that are available to them. And be clear, you not only can you not do it, like, so I work, I currently work for three different schools. So I'm even like, I have access to more than other people because the most frustrating thing in the world is I'm logged in, you know, I've, I'm logged in as my Duquesne account and Duquesne doesn't have access to this, to this journal. So now I have to log out and log back in into my PIT account. Aha, yeah, that works. So, or God forbid, right. I have to like log out again and, and go to my, um, to my, um, so I've gone from Pitt to Duquesne to, um, to Mount Aloysius. And then finally it's like, okay, well, let me log in as my wife through her CMU account. It's like, yes. <laughs> and so like there's, there's literally sometimes I have to do this, but like the things that Katya is talking about, that's me going far, far out of my way to read something that honestly is going to read like gibberish because it's literally, you know, like Steph and I were interested. So we went and we pulled all, we wanted to see the data and see how the double blind st study worked um, to understand why hydroxychloroquine didn't work. And so we are we are at a at a level really doing you know even though we're not doing the study ourselves we're we are re we are redoing the meta analysis we are essentially doing this like an academic paper research but that doesn't mean you shouldn't which what I think Katya is getting at is we shouldn't shame people for wanting to understand stuff because at the very end of the day if we're doing if you're in a global pandemic and we're asking you to take a vaccine we are asking you to inject a foreign chemical into your body I understand why people want to understand that but you're not understanding it if you're just looking for somebody who agrees with you that it is bad you know you can do the nine out of ten doctors agree and it's by the way 99 out of out of 100 doctors seem to agree this is a right. good idea that should mean something well, that's doing research and also I and I think that's also one of the reasons why being aware of what confirmation bias is and also the way that algorithms get in, like feed into that. Mm -hmm. Because I think one of the one of the things that I wish and I did see some people talking about it when I saw these you know posts going up. But one of the things that I wish there was more of a conversation around is part of the reason why you should question what you see in your, you know, online research, your Google, your Googling um, <laughs> is because confirmation bias isn't just happening because we are more like like confirmation bias is the premise that like we're more likely to like see as true and believe things that confirm what we already believe. And we're more likely to, we are more likely to doubt things that do not conform with our beliefs. Right. Mm -hmm. It gets even more dicey when you're doing internet research because Google, Facebook, Twitter likes to show you things that it thinks that you will respond to, mm -hmm. which means that, that, that confirmation bias is also baked into the algorithms they are going to show you things. So, uh, and I've seen this as a, you know, and I've seen this in the course of doing my own research, um, is that if I'm using online, you know, online research to find sources, find those peer reviewed articles, um, it's going to show me things that are more similar to my own search history. It's not going to show me a diversity of opinion. Mm -hmm. And you can, if you are doing good research practice, you can be aware of that and you can correct for that by seeking out things that you don't agree with mm -hmm. and then evaluating them independently. But I think part of the problem is people either given like are giving into confirmation bias either intentionally because they're being uh, gross uh, or aren't necessarily aware that it's happening to them or to the extent to which it's happening mm -hmm. and and or don't know how to correct for it appropriately. Mm -hmm. Correcting for confirmation bias doesn't mean you treat all it's not, you know, it's no. not the the it's not saying that like everyone's opinion is valid. Um, no, it's not. So Everybody's opinion is not valid. Not valid yeah. 
Right. But it's about understanding what other opinions are and having a reason mm-hmm. for why you do not it's... believe them to be valid. I mean, like, the, in the on the flip side, though, you know, as you've been talking, I'm also, like, thinking about, like, how even if you go to college at any level, like, if you, you're, you know, you're going to ideally somewhat earn, like, a certain degree of expertise in the field, aka a degree. And I don't think, I think that, like, there's a lot of assumptions in the education system or just by, like, like individual instructors that you'll understand the inherent value of what you're being asked to do or like what you should be doing. (laughs) Because like, absolutely. Honestly, like people like, the original like definition of plagiarism I was like given in high school and even like college is like don't copy other people's words word for word and like pass them off as your own people even gave like advice don't take this advice like oh just you know reword it from like whatever and that's fine and like people also didn't explain that like things like falsifying data in a lab if you know what the correct numbers should be but you're getting different numbers is a bad thing and you might be thinking as I'm listing these things out well that seems like common sense Hannah but you know, like that, like if you don't tell people, they won't know. Um, and honestly, sorry, just to ahead. jump in on that point and reinforce it. I just saw a great TikTok this morning, specifically about parenting. And this is person talking about like teaching their their toddler things that are supposed to be common sense. And she was basically like, common sense doesn't exist until you teach them like like what is common sense. I mean, and I was I like, mean, we don't say this enough. We assume mm-hmm. that con- we talk and we do it actually in research and we do it actually in the law. We as- we say things as if common sense is an innate thing that you are born with. It is not. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, but continue. No, no, it's fine. I mean, you do remember that I didn't know how to use like an actual plastic shower curtain until I was like 21 because I'd never seen one before in my entire life um, until I moved. I'm still not convinced I know how to appropriately use a plastic shower curtain. Like, uh, does it go inside? Does it go outside? Yeah. I don't know. It goes, okay. yeah, it goes inside. Yeah, like like there's the side, so that the water runs into the tub. Yeah, hold on, don't just walk past this. How did you shower for twenty years before? There, that? there was like a slidey door thing. Oh, okay, okay, all right. I'm, I'm like just like water because okay, yes, you you had another technique. You, yes. you weren't just like saying fuck it, the the bathroom gets wet. Whatever. This is an embarrassing thing I'm about to put on air. But I did not. This is the common sense thing, and why we have to teach people things. No one ever explained to me that it was supposed to go on the inside of the tub. So until I was probably like twelve or thirteen, I was. Like it's on the outside of the tub. That's where it lives, and so there we yeah. just, it was. So I, was like, yeah, I, was, I was doing that at 12. I was like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, so I was like, I was putting it on the outside of the tub at the age of 21 when I moved into an apartment with other people. And they were like, Hannah, why is the floor always wet? This is like deeply embarrassing to put on the air. Actually, whatever. I, don't <laughs> no, I, did, this, I did the same. And, it's because it's just, yep. And I was like, I was like, but I'm using the shower curtain. And they were like, how are you using the shower curtain? And that's how my roommates <laughs> taught me to use the shower curtain. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I would like to point out that neither Hannah and I knew, knew for a long time how to appropriately use a shower curtain, and we still got PhDs. So if you feel yeah. like you can get, get fancy ass degrees. This public service announcement. Oh, that's, actually, that's actually relevant, though. That, that matters because as silly yeah. as it sounds, there are, you know, okay, being a doctor of, I'm going to say doctor the way most people mean it, not, you know, not like of literature. I mean, if, if being a 
a doctor of one kind of no, I mean MD. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like the way most people mean the original doctor. Yeah, yes, yeah, doctor. Actually, the word doctor means teacher. Um, the thing that you're the thing that most people call doctor is actually a physician. It's different, but being a physician, um, for instance, does not mean you know anything about you know the law or lots of other things or even other branches of medicine. Key in point, Rand Paul messes up lots of stuff about. uh, I mean, he is a doctor. He is literally a dentist. You know, he um or no eye doctor, eye doctor. Yeah, but yeah, but like he is a doctor of one kind. Doesn't practice much anymore because he's basically a senator, a bad one, a bad one, but a senator. But like he, like his expertise is in one specific thing, not um, not a medicine, for instance. So when he was arguing all the stuff about, oh well, you know, you don't need to wear a mask and you know, blah blah blah, and I was like, he doesn't. And like I was watching people, you know, on people online try to cite him in arguments, saying, well, he's a doctor and he would know. And I'm like, he's not, he's not that kind of doctor. He's not an epidemiologist well but and it's like he knows more than you do and i was like no not really well but he's a doctor i'm like yeah but specializations matter why Mm -hmm. well because there's no there's no reason why he you know yes maybe he did a rotation in epidemiology a rotation maybe you know during medical school he you know that was 35 years ago ago, (laughs) for him and he would have been there for two weeks like he he would have done a rotation like it would have been and that would have been it he doesn't have any reason to know more and you know any more than he's gone through and reviewed the research and consulted experts and all this other stuff but even then then it's just like me it's like like, exactly it's like it's not about and like you could make the uh, you could certainly make the argument that and actually I would that it's like if he if he has expertise in one medical one medical practice he is probably more likely to be able to understand the research about other medical practices greater than someone who does not have education. Well, likewise for Mav, it's like, I mean, not necessarily, but like you also understand research practice to a mm-hmm. much greater degree than the average person. So, and possibly no, more I, than I, most other medical yeah, doctors, so you understand how to read the research, right. what, like just from a different standpoint. Uh, why were people listing his qualifications as a way to believe what he said and completely dismissing? You know, Dr. Fauci, the epidemiologist. Right. Because he because right. because they want to because believe him. They're like, his, he's just, yeah. Well, right. and that's, yeah. that's what I explained to somebody. It, you know, the, in fact, that same idiot during during this conversation, because this came up and he's like, well, he says this and, you know, and and he's a doctor. And I was like, no. But like Fauci, you know, he's like, well, how can we trust Fauci? And I'm like, because Fauci is an epidemiologist and this is about an epidemic. This is literally his specialty. Well, sure, but he should. He's like, no, nothing else matters. Literally, his specialty means this is what he does. And you know, it's like, for instance, um, I'm sure um, I'm sure Fauci is really, really good at being an epidemiologist. He is the nation's leading expert, in fact. Um, but if I wanted to have a baby or I broke my arm, I don't want to go to him because this mm-hmm. is not his specialty. <laughs> you know, and and, he would probably if you did, he would probably be like, nope, go to this other person. Yes. Like literally whoever your emergency room doctor is, is probably better at setting bones. Whoever your OBGYN is, mm-hmm. is going to be better at delivering a baby. Um, That's then, why we have specialties. Right. Well, then Fauci. And and I was like, well, yeah, but I'm sure he's done it. It's like, yes, Fauci, I'm sure probably delivered a baby during his OBGYN rotation 50 years ago. <laughs> like, like, like he might remember it, you know, and I think he's got three kids. So, you know, 
if he were around when they were born, you know, he's maybe seen four births and they're in their 40s. You know, so like like he's that's not how that's not how things work. Any And that's the, that's true of all specialties. Right. Like, you know, the reason there's five of us on, on this show, even though auspiciously we all deal with cultural studies, we all do very different things within that world. You know, well, yeah, we have overlaps, but like. I, I, I would, and there's a little bit of trust, right? Because like Rand Paul says he's an expert in everything, but he's not, but I'm not going to pretend to know anything. Um, like most of what I know about Victorianism, literally, it's not even from school. It's just from listening to Hannah because we're friends for the last couple of years. Right. Like that's more, yeah. of what, but, but that's more of what I know than anything I've ever, you know, I took I took a Victorianist class in I don't know 1997. <laughs> it was a while ago. <laughs> like I I mean and you know and I read you took Victorian book history with me. It was not 1997. No, I, I wasn't in book history. I wasn't in book history. Oh, nope. nope. Uh, maybe yeah, I didn't talk, it. talk your fucking yeah. ear off about it. Yeah. No. I I mean I I know I know some stuff, but I was just kind of around. I I, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean I took um I took history in the novel where we read a couple of Victorian books as well as, you know, other books from the 400 years surrounding it. But no, I don't, I'm not, not at all an expert. <laughs> but also I don't, I'm not an expert. Like, like uh, I would say Katya Maka would probably likely know more about 19th century women's fashion than mm-hmm. I do. Oh, Monica certainly would. I, I, I wouldn't even claim to know. I know. Well, and this is one of the reasons why actually I don't do as many fashion episodes as we, as like I would like to is because I'm excited Monica's on actually partially for the reason is because it's like I have expertise as a hobbyist mm-hmm. that is very different. Like I have, you know, I know, I know how to make a lot of clothes, including like some historical reconstructive methods. I follow a lot of people who are like, this is their job, either because they are costumers or because they are scholars of the field. But like, I mean, this goes back to like the idea of like, what is expertise and like what, you know, what's the difference between Googling something and doing, you know, research in the lab is it's like, I have, I have a lot of knowledge, but I am not, it has not been my career or a thing I have like systematically studied. So it's like, which is not to say that my, my knowledge in that area is not valuable. It doesn't, it's not that it like, doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It's also like, I'm going to defer to people who have way more experience <laughs> and right. knowledge in this area. Unless, you know, unless it's like when I, when I speak, it's like I'm somebody who speaks as a craftsperson and a practitioner, mm-hmm. not as an expert in the field. There's a difference between those two things, I think. And also, I mean, a lot of people who are historians also forget about the maker aspect. Like mm-hmm. that's a big part of like studying material culture is thinking about how these things were actually made and worn. Because for me as a fashion historian, like I, I grew up in the reenactment space, but then you go to school and there's all of these people who like, treat it as a museum object without ever thinking about how this like oh it looks like maybe it was um torn because it was actually too small or any of those like actual realities that come from additional understanding that you get from wearing which is quite honestly probably how we end up with all of those like god-awful like movies where they're like oh the corset i cannot breathe (laughs) like yeah because you know it's it's another one of those like expertise comes from different places like even for me it's like can i talk about 18th century fashion like yeah but i would also probably know a lot of people in my own community that i would then invite in to phone a friend because that's their area of 
specialty. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I do um, more American, like 20th century fashion. Mm -hmm. And I obviously know the research methods that I would use to then be able to talk about the 18th century. I know something about the 18th century. I know to look at a photo and I know which decade from the 18th century it came (laughs) from. Like, you know, all of all of those things. But we each have our own niche. And I think that that's another place where like we all seem to feel like we need to be experts in a thing. Like when we talk about trust, like you should be phoning the friend who knows more. That's part of like Mm -hmm. why they spent all that time on it and you didn't. And they should call you when they have questions about the other thing. Uh, It's just, I am the largest proponent of uh, scholarly like accessibility and (laughs) the the amount that it does not exist as a public scholar Mm -hmm. is me. Absolutely nuts. Like I I looked up how much Vogue archive subscription is fifteen hundred dollars a year. A year. Yeah. How am I supposed to pay for that (laughs) as an independent scholar? And wouldn't you think that I would be the person who probably needs that the most? And it's and it's so frustrating because it makes like we like it is known that getting graduate degrees, masters, PhDs is inaccessible financially in terms of time commitment to so many fucking people. Mm-hmm. And we complain, and I say we, I mean especially like people who have expertise. There's lots of people complaining, like people don't listen to research, blah blah blah. We don't listen to experts, and I'm like, okay, some of that is because people are being dicks. Some of that is also because of exactly what Monica was talking about. It's because we made the research so fucking inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember and well, understanding I not- wise and physically, like literally yeah. the thing, the thing yeah. with the, with the, I mean, the, the COVID articles I was talking about, I did, we used four different school libraries in order to get all the pieces we needed because yeah. my nerdy wife and my nerdy me, you know, we had a question that we are uniquely equipped. I mean, like even as academics, nobody has access to four different libraries. That's just us. Right. Like, <laughs> like because right. I, because I happen to have so many jobs plus her job, like the fact that we had access, you know, that we could VPN in places, you know, and do it ourselves is even weird for academics. Most people only have access to one thing. So when you're doing, when you're publishing research, be it on, be it on Victorian studies or be it on, you know, infectious diseases. If you're only disseminating that research to places that the most culturally academically elite people can touch. Well, yeah, nobody's going to, I mean, aside from no one's going to like spend $1,500 to look up Vogue articles from 1901. I mean, this is also only talking about digital like mm-hmm. born digital or digitally accessible materials. There's something like a Physical third archives. of all <laughs> archival materials sits unprocessed. And that's yeah. like unprocessed at yeah. the box level, which means mm-hmm. we have a box of papers and it's about, uh, I don't know, the 1950s. Like box level is very, very broad. Right. And, well, and that means that all of those yeah. things are just sitting like, it's like no going into like someone's them. garage and being mm-hmm. like, I don't know what this is. And that's a third of all archival materials that you would have to go visit in person if that archive or library is even going to let you in to look at unprocessed materials, mm-hmm. which they don't have the employees to get to. 
Like, Mm -hmm. because they're too busy working on everything else. And when you think about like that level of inaccessibility and privilege to be able to travel to those places, to be allowed to have an appointment, to be allowed to look at any of those materials, it's like, yeah, it's a wonder any of us can do any research at all. And then on top of that, there's like cultural, like within academia itself, there's cultural stigma about writing for popular audiences. I remember early on in my graduate career, I was having a conversation and I just mentioned basically something of like one of the things that I believe scholars should be responsible for is finding ways to make their research accessible to the public. Part of it is like what we're talking about, making research findings publicly accessible without a paywall. But part of that is also writing public scholarship or doing podcasts. Yeah, doing the show. Yeah, right. To talk about, well, to talk about like the kinds of things we study in a way that, I mean, I'm not going to say we're the most accessible in terms of like, uh, like we're the most accessible source ever. Like, I think you have to have a foundation of knowledge and cultural studies and things like that, at least on a layperson level to like listen to our podcast and get a lot out of it. Although if you have questions about things, please drop us a line uh, and we'll do episodes, <laughs> explain whatever yeah. the hell you want. Uh, as we've explained the show, it's the, the, we will talk about anything. But, and I was told literally by multiple graduate students and professors in that conversation is like, oh, we're not responsible for that. Mm-hmm. We're not responsible for communicating our research or making sure it's to the public. I'm like, do you literally want your research to sit in a library and die? Yes. Because we know that from Impact Factors research, Impact Factors is, the, is basically the study of how much research in peer-reviewed journal articles is actually read, cited, mm-hmm. and used. Um, the vast majority of articles, it varies from field to field somewhat, but not hugely. Um, mm-hmm. are read by five, five-ish people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes the reviewers. Yes. So five. Yeah. Yeah. I, two, I, three, I, four, five. Yeah. I I think the the things that I've published recently that have had the most impact are blogs I did for work that was like how to use like digital tools to help you teach online. I think that those have had more impact and more readers based on like what I can tell than the uh, article I published on Jane Austen and Kant. Um, Yeah, I have I have I have blog posts that have a thousand hits on them. Right. Which which is more than most academic articles get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know people you know, that sell, like are, celebrate articles that get 50 readers as wildly ex- successful as mm-hmm. they should. Mm-hmm. I, I think that like, I, I want to go back to something Maka said earlier though, like talking about like phoning in a friend who might have more expertise um, in a very particular area. And I, I think that one thing I was frustrated about toward the end of my graduate career is like how in some fields of academia, there seems to be like an insistence upon like the idea idea of like the intellectual like individual genius how you know mm. you, you you write your things alone you publish them alone and there's like not a lot of like push toward collaboration and the thing i think i enjoy most about this show i mean i enjoy many things is that um well you know all all of you hosts are delightful human beings who are very supportive and kind um we we don't say i think that enough how much we enjoy just talking to each other um Mm -hmm. we've been doing it weekly for (laughs) quite some time (laughs) and and, you know a year ago during the worst of the pandemic you were some of the only people i talked to week to week week. um but you know like i i think that like what makes the show interesting is and, and yeah like we are not like the foremost expert on every single topic we do because uh this the nature of the show but you know we we collaborate and like we build thoughts together like um some like a secondary research project um of mine that like stalls because i am not really doing the academic research thing anymore is 
as you know, like because of this show to a large degree, I became very interested in like games and how they portray empire and like what arguments each game is making about empire. And now I have my own little archive of imperial games, which is super weird, but they're <laughs> research. Um, and, like, it's that's not a waste. Like- Josh is listening. <laughs> it's not a waste. It's work. <laughs> no, no, he like, he found out how many games I like had waiting on me from Kickstarter and he's not upset or anything. He was just like, you have how many? <laughs> we could pay rent or this. <laughs> Where will you put them? We could live in a house of all your board games stacked up together. So, yeah, when, I, when I come visit Durham in like two years, you guys will have like bought a bar and just filled it with games that people come and play. Um, I, I dare to dream, but like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> but like, we, you know, we, we've like let it go for a minute and we'll have another episode on it eventually. But, you know, Katya, like, and I like have like done this like empire game thing and like have drugged Josh into it mm-hmm. and, um, other like people that we can get to talk to us about this. So, you know, that's cool. So one of my favorite articles on basically the research process is by Stephen Ramsey, uh, or Stephen Ramsey, Stephen Ramsey. I'm not sure how he pronounces it. But anyway, uh, but it's called The Hermeneutics of Screwing Around or What You Do with a Million Books. <laughs> I actually like just from the title. I love this already. OK. <laughs> um, and we will link it in the show notes. But uh, he invents this term in there called Hermeneutics, which is not important <laughs> other than the fact that it is my favorite academic term all of the time uh, and for all of eternity. And you will not convince me otherwise ever. But he basically writes about the impossibility of doing research in the way that a lot of researchers present themselves to be doing, like kind of what Hannah's talking about is the idea that like, oh, we're supposed to be all knowing and we know everything and we have this rig- rigorous research practice that's like the ideal form of, of, of rigor and and perfection all the time. Um, and he basically goes on to talk about like, that's impossible. There's literally so many books that you could not be a all-knowing expert on any one thing, let mm-hmm. alone multiple things. And he basically goes on to talk about, he's like, he's like, here's how research actually works. He's like, you run across an idea you find interesting. You are thinking about it for multiple weeks. You go to the library. You're like, you're, and maybe you're thinking about, I think the example, I want to say he, he uses an example of researching Emily Dickinson. Don't quote me on that. And he's like, you go to the library, you check out a bunch of books on Emily Dickinson. Uh, so some of them because of the, the, the topics and you, you think that those are important to understand. Some of them you pick out just because like you like the way the covers look. Um, <laughs> and as you're walking out, you yeah. see a stack of records about Bob Dylan or like a stack of like Bob Dylan records. And so you check out the Bob Dylan records. And so you're reading Emily Dickinson and scholarship around about Emily Dickinson while listening to Bob Dylan records. And that's what research is. It's because he's like the fact that you were listening to De- like the to Dylan records is going like that is like that's influencing how you're reading Dickinson and how you're reading scholarship mm-hmm. about Dickinson. And he's like, but no one's ever going to cite that. You're not going to cite oh, unless you're not true. I would. I might. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the weirdos in this room do, but we're also the weirdos who believe in public public scholarship. So yes. we're apparently bizarre. Yeah, but Bowie, um, Bowie gets cited in everything I write. <laughs> part of his point is basically that screwing around with knowledge and screwing around with ideas is how research gets done. That doesn't mean you mm-hmm. don't go substantiate your work with evidence. You absolutely do if you're being a good researcher. Right. It doesn't mean there's not rigor. But like this entire idea that somehow like people who have expertise are somehow these all-knowing geniuses is just not true. Like also, we, we know a lot. Yeah. We've dedicated our lives to these things. 
but it's like, I genuinely believe that it's like, you could have the same, like, like, like the reason we have expertise is because I've dedicated, you know, I've dedicated the last like almost decade of my life to understanding a specific set of questions in the same way. If mm-hmm. you dedicated your, you know, a decade of your life to understanding anything, you would probably have the same level of expertise in that thing. And in fact, most people do like my brother has spent, my brother doesn't have a PhD in anything. However, my brother understands more things about cars and rotary engines than like uh. anyone else I know including other people who specialize in the same things mm-hmm. um, because he spent the last decade trying to understand a set of questions and it's like that that's how things work if you are interested and you investigate shit you will become an expert in it also also experts sometimes do make mistakes like it doesn't necessarily invalidate yep. that you know they're that they know things but like you know people in my field who are considered like the foremost experts i have read some of their works so i was like oh like I, I am not going to say the name or like point out the error because it's minor and doesn't exactly matter, and I'm I'm not going to be a jerk. But like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like oh like that is like a fact wrong. It, that this is the actual thing that happens in this novel, and it's a minor detail, and it doesn't really screw up the argument, so it doesn't really matter. But this is wrong, and I'm sure that I mm-hmm. have made a mistake as well. Or sometimes Absolutely. like I mean there's there's so. I mean, like, there's so much to hold in your head about, like, the 19th century and the 18th century and, like, novel theory and pop culture and serialization across the decades that, like, you can't hold it in your head at one time. Like, you need notes and, like, to refresh your memory and, like, but, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's important to, like, be generous and correct people when it's important, but it's okay to make mistakes as well. It doesn't mean that, like, you, you should quit forever. I would go one further and I would say it's not a mistake. Like it's the research process. The research process is that you do more research Mm -hmm. than literally correct yourself to become more of an expert than you were before. If you're doing it right. The thing that Mm -hmm. you were working on. That's the point. Like you're adding to the conversation. It's not a detraction from yourself as a scholar. And And if someone else finds it, like it's also like, it's not yours. Like it's yeah. a field of knowledge that exists. And, and there's also sort of this problem with like, like one, yeah, we should phone friends like because they have this expertise and we respect that expertise. But also if you are correcting something that someone else did. Like you're allowed to do that. You're supposed to do that. It's a body of knowledge that we are all agreeing we are collectively contributing to and we don't yes like, as historians we don't own it we're just bringing it to light so like i don't know i think we all gotta give no, it like, i agree with that like a little bit like, more of a pass <laughs> no i i 100 agree and it's like i think as researchers there's so much stigma about saying the sentence i don't know or yeah. i didn't know yeah. better and it's like if you're not developing i mean this is i think true of human beings but i think especially if you're going to be a researcher of any kind it's like if you're not constantly evolving how you think about your own field and your own subject of work kind of like what mav just says you're not you're not doing it right um I think- there are ideas that i wrote in papers and gave it at, at conferences that in the course of like that conference and like me giving the paper and then the like the five questions that came afterwards I was like, oh, yeah, I was absolutely wrong about that thing, which means I'm doing my job because from presenting at the conference, it's not you don't go there. You don't go to a conference to get like accolades and like a clap on the back. Well, you do, but you shouldn't. That's part of it. But (laughs) yeah, that's part of it. But you're also going to like get feedback on your work. And somebody had a really good piece of criticism Mm -hmm. of my work. And they're like, hey, have you considered this aspect from this, you know, from this body of work? And I was like, I wasn't familiar with that body of work. And they were absolutely right. It was a major hole in that paper. Mm -hmm. And I went and did the research. 
research and it became a much better paper. But it's like that only happens if I, you know, if as a researcher, I'm willing to understand and admit like I didn't know something because the other option mm. of what I could have done is just dig, dig my heels in and be like, oh, no, I'm right because I'm an expert, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, and I will do that if I think someone has an invalid point because they're being an asshole. But yeah, like, but because I'm a researcher, I know how to recognize genuine feedback and someone being an ass. That's the skill, though, because like so uh, you are at at the end of the day, Katya is an expert researcher. Literally, that's what getting a Ph.D. is right. Like you pick one specific expertise, but like you have gone and you have learned these skills to be able to learn better. That's essentially what you're an expert in. Right. Um, More than any. I mean, you're also an expert in other things, but more than anything else, that's the thing that we are. As a methodology, right. we're really good at um, figuring out stuff and asking annoying right. questions. <laughs> and and it, and I think admitting that you know nothing in certain circumstances is a part of that, that, you know, many of us miss, not us, us the five of us, but like many of the people in academia miss. Um, I also think a lot of people miss the the public scholarship that like that Monica's talking about. Um, but I, I want to cover something Hannah was do, saying because uh, Wayne, I, Wayne probably knows where I'm going with the story because he's read this book, too. Um, I'll name a name. I'll name a name of someone who is doing fine and therefore doesn't care that I name that I name her on this podcast. Margaret Atwood. <laughs> Margaret Atwood. Yeah. But Margaret Atwood, Margaret Atwood is more famous than I will ever be. And I'm not trying to take anything away from her. I I really am not. But Margaret Atwood decided, I guess it's been about five years now. Um, Mm -hmm. So for anybody who doesn't know, she's a famous author and a famous feminist critic. Um, I'm not Mm -hmm. judging her. I'm not judging her work in Mm -hmm. one way or the other, but that's who she is. And and oh, probably most notable to anybody who's listening to our show. She wrote Handmaid's Tale, the original novel Handmaid's Tale that the the TV show is based on. Um, But about five years ago, Margaret Atwood decided maybe six. I don't know. She decided she wanted to become a comic book scholar, too. And she's famous enough that she can just do that. And she can say, I'm writing this book on comic book scholarship and I'm I'm just going to do that. And um and, and her publisher will publish it because it has right, her because, name on it. Because she's Margaret Atwood, her publisher will publish this book on comic book scholarship. Um and if you are a massive academic nerd, meaning your name is Christopher Maverick or Wayne Wise on comics, <laughs> you'll you'll read this book and probably not many other people do because even if you're a handmaid's mm-hmm. tale book, it's not an accessible book. It's not it, 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 it really, you know, if you're just a comic book fan, you're gonna be like, why? Why is anybody talking about this? And why is anybody talking about um, about the feminism overlap of superhero comics? What? And, you know, I will say, having read that, having read it, that she has some interesting ideas. However, Wayne, what is the problem with Margaret Atwood's book? (laughs) Gets so many just factual things about comics wrong. Just just wrong like something things like that, things that yeah, i've known since i was seven yeah. just like yeah, issue the, the, numbers the, this is one of the few reviews i've written on amazon uh, point, mm-hmm. pointing that out and yeah but and when i stumble across something like that, that, that here's something that 30 seconds on wikipedia would have answered for you right and and you get it wrong and it's published it now makes me question everything else you say in your book right and like which you, is yeah. much of which is valid but yeah, like literally right, because right. you don't know right, where then, Spider-Man first appeared. it's a question appeared. of like, what, what are her, yeah. what are her findings based off of if mm-hmm. there's not foundational basic information that's. Yeah. That's, right. I want to, I want to clarify my original thing, which is I, I didn't name a name and I was using the example of like, she made one mistake that yes. was minor that affected nothing. 
in mm-hmm. a like you know well, three hundred right. page book. Yeah. So yeah. This, well, very very different. Different. I will say yeah. Margaret Atwood has done similar things speaking about science fiction right. uh, and the history of science fiction, and I think part of it is also the difference between like she is. I I, I would call her a scholarly author. I would not call mm. her necessarily a scholar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the sense of you know her I, primary area of expertise is writing fiction, which is not to say that yes. she does not have other knowledge. However, when I read her more quote unquote scholarly works, it's like these are not the this is not I don't read them as the output of a researcher. Yeah. She doesn't have the rigor. Yeah. And that doesn't I, I'm, mean they're I'm, not valuable or interesting or she doesn't have interesting right. ideas. It's, it's just like work. this is yep. It is. It is a different. I. I. It. It holds. It means something different to me. It holds different weight. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I, and if I cited her in my own work, I would cite it as. I would cite it differently, mm-hmm. not to invalidate I, her points, but to say basically like this is you know this is the work of a writer and practitioner because it mm-hmm. like it means something that's different. Like we are yes. all situated from our own areas of expertise. In the same way, if I was going to write about the process of writing fiction, science fiction, which is not something I do professionally, I would not like I. I you know I know. A lot about science fiction from a scholarly perspective. I, I, I'm not cre- I'm not a credible source in the way that Margaret Atwood would be about the process of writing mm-hmm. science fiction. Mm-hmm. I only know about that experience secondhand. Well, to, to Hannah's point of that, you know, making a single mistake in something, not ruining the rest. I, I'm reading a book now that's a collection of essays on analyzing comics, and it's it's written kind of for the layperson, people who are writing reviews for newspapers or magazines, but it can be applied to to academic stuff as well. And it's a collection of essays on a wide variety of topics and they're talking about there's a section on just the basic roles what what the writer does what the penciler does etc and one of the essays referred to the inker as laying down the color and it made me crazy yeah and it made me crazy (laughs) it made me crazy because the exact next chapter was an essay on what inkers do right and like literally read this book read other chapters in this book and and it just it's like that's a mistake i've seen many many times because inking is one of those aspects of the creation of comics i think a lot of people don't understand what it is Mm -hmm. and i've heard a lot of people they think ink that that's putting the color in and they ignore the next line which says colorist but i mean it's a simple mistake and it didn't come an editor should have editorial control should have fixed. Yes, yes. The person who edited this book and put together all these essays should have caught that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it hasn't invalidated the rest of the book for me. I mean, a lot of it, I'm coming to this, a lot of it is this is really basic information that I've known for years. Since you were seven. Yeah. (laughs) But there's a a lot of good insight to approaching how to do this, because a lot of people will write a review of a comic and not address the art in any way. Mm -hmm. And and, and how, you know, it's just they, they... they review it like they would a novel. And, yes. and so this is meant to be a handbook for things to look for. If you're coming at this from outside of me and Mav, these are things you should be thinking about. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. I picked it up simply because I do this. Let's see what they have to say. Okay. But yeah. But yeah, just here's a simple mistake that an editor should have caught. But yeah, the, the Margaret Atwood stuff, there was a couple things that were just egregious errors in comic book <laughs> lore that the, the fanboy in me is like, well, that's not right. Right. Um, you know, and, it doesn't, and having and, read the book, it doesn't invalidate all her points. She's, no, she has no. some good insight, but it, but it was, it's, it was sloppy and it was, and, and, and yeah. it took me out of it and made me quite question how much research mm-hmm. and, and thought I, she actually put right. into it. And, and right. that's, this also happens with academics. Like there are, especially there are famous academics who just decide one day they're going to publish a book completely outside of their field. Mm-hmm. And they often, not always, they often do it without diving deep into the existing literature 
mm-hmm. from that field. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have I have met personally some people who've written books like that uh, and went, came into my field doing that. Uh, their books are sophomore juvenile. Well, they often end up because you didn't you didn't go like if you because if you if you step into a field without reading the pre-existing literature, you end up reproducing often insights that were published two decades ago. Yes. Um, Or you get stuff just plain wrong, things that have been disproven. Because like Monica was saying, you are contributing to a body of literature. If you're not aware of that body of literature, you're not going to contribute to it because you're behind. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to say that you're, you know, you're not a good researcher, you're not a scholar. It's like you don't have the base knowledge to be able to make a meaningful contribution. That's why we don't start publishing until we're at least usually halfway through a PhD program. And that's also why you have senior scholars, hopefully, like if you have good mentors, you should have senior scholars helping you. I, I think that like also like what you're bringing up and, and like some of what Monica was saying earlier is is that, you know, there is like an ethics to citation. And like there's I, I think a lot of like people have recently framed citation as like not just generosity, but like thinking about who you want to position yourself as like, um, you know, a peer thinking about like who you want to be in conversation with thinking about like how you like it like I think that there when we are first taught certain things it's sort of like you look for the gap in scholarship and people have said this before or like uh you know I think sometimes the impulse is like I need to do something totally new and different um or I won't stick out and oh my god how do I write about something like this mm-hmm. but like you know there there's it's like the whole like the exciting thing about research right is like a conversation and like how can that conversation grow and why are we still talking about these things um and i think sometimes that like gets lost um mm-hmm. and i and i think also like whenever it comes to i, I know that mistakes is a broad category um but yeah, there there are little things and there are big things. Like, I think Hannah, what you're talking about is the difference between honest mistakes, which I think is the article you were talking about earlier, and what it sounds like Margaret Atwood is doing, which is research malpractice. Yeah. But I think also I like think yeah, that's that, the distinction. Yeah. And I think also it's important to think about like when you need to call out a mistake, um, because like mm-hmm. so, so, I mean, yeah, Margaret Atwood should be called out, and it's like it's not like as Mav said, it's not like us talking about no, her. She um, does not it care. Will affect it in any way. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I think that. Uh, you know, you, you need to make decisions about how you speak to your peers just generally. Um, there, I actually like saw a Twitter conversation about this earlier about like, you know, when when do you and how do you um, mention like this kind of thing? And just like, you know, how how like how do you just treat your colleagues, which like, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I think that even despite our like occasional jokes um, and our box office competition, which weirdly we haven't talked about yet, um, mm-hmm. we, we like, you know, we, we respect each other. And like, mm-hmm. even when we like disagree um, or like have questions um it's not like as a way to like make someone cry no because it's well it's like monica said it's like we don't own the body of knowledge like it's not personal it's just like we're all trying to contribute to a body of knowledge even even though i said like this podcast is not peer-reviewed research obviously Mm -hmm. um we're still having a conversation about a body of knowledge like i learned so much from talking to like everyone on the show, guests and hosts included, just by like thinking about weird right. stuff and sometimes really difficult stuff. One of the weird things about this show and one of the intentional things about this show that we didn't talk
talk that much about that I think I may want to make sure we reference is the public aspect that Monica brought up. That is very much the intention here, right? Like, is it is this a peer reviewed paper? No, it's not designed to be. But it is the show is designed to be you know, discussing our, our broadly, not just the five of us, but our, and the ho- and the guests that we have on, um, our research and our ideas, um, in a popular way, we say with drinking and swearing, cause we, you know, we're looking for the level of, of familiarity that we would have that we do have when we're at the bar. Like when we, when we've done this show in person at PCA, and even when we're not recording, this is how we talk to each other. Um, we started off talking with the, you know, you know, our ongoing chat conversation that we have, just like our our our, our text chain that, that we use as hosts. This is the level of teasing that we do with each other. And it's the level of rigor we have as, you know, as nerds, as professional nerds. I'm not going to it's not just for the air. If I go and see Green Knight, which I enjoyed, and I talk to talk about it with Hannah off the air, it's gonna sound a lot like what it sounded like when we talked about when we talked about it on the air. Um, recently, several of us, not all of us, have seen the movie Free Guy. Loved it, and when we talk about it, we're gonna talk about it, you know, like nerdy academics because that's how we talk. But at least for me, and I can't speak for Katya and Wayne who were here at the beginning, but I always wanted it to be accessible academia because we we talked about this when we first started that we wanted to make sure that if we invited someone on because they are a 20 year professor of cultural studies or we invited someone on because they're just a big comic book fan that we always treated them the same and like their their contribution mattered so for me um other than acknowledging it i never like i don't call i don't say dr gorecki i say katya because i respect her doctorate but because i want it to be i i i don't want to i never want this show to come off as though we're dismissing anybody um we i do dismiss people but uh, but but like if you're on this show it's because we have not dismissed you (laughs) yeah well and also like like uh i think i said this earlier like you can dismiss people because they're not making a substantive criticism if somebody's making a substantive criticism even if you disagree with that criticism you should at least would engage with it i mean that's that's how we learn Mm -hmm. i yeah i mean i would agree with like all of what mav just said i think part of it for me also came from cultural studies as i think as a whole as well as specifically the kinds of fields i work in would not exist without basically lay scholars who were not recognized as scholars. Like I think about like my archival work on early science fiction literally would not have been possible if not, if people did not, if nerds did not meticulously preserve periodicals from like the teens, twenties, thirties, like I literally could not have done my master's, you know, my master's research without Mm -hmm. that. Um, And with video games, like a lot of, I have said this and I will say it again, a lot of the best thinking about video games that, you know, the field was built on started through things like game wikis, Reddit posts, stuff like that. And like, that still is really influential. Like I cite YouTube videos, I cite Reddit articles because it's like, A, it's, it's extremely valuable insight into how people think about 
and use different media artifacts, which I think is something I think is for my research is really important to understanding video games and their impact. Um, but it's also just like the, I, as far as I'm concerned, like those people are our scholars that have a different mm-hmm. kind. I think that what we've been saying is it's like, yes, they may not have like the academic expertise and research grounding and blah, blah, blah. And so their contributions are different than somebody who has, you know, 10 years of research expertise, blah, blah, blah. But I, you know, I still think that they are valid contributions to the Mm -hmm. field, especially when they're well supported by evidence and like whether that evidence is their own experience and that of others and reading the text and X, Y, Z. And so I think like, I mean, so one of the reasons why we have, why we are, we have the blog posts and we invite people to comment is like, we want people, like our, our network largely, although not exclusively, our network is largely academic, Mm -hmm. um, which is why a lot of our guests are academic, but we want people who aren't academic, like aren't academics and are not necessarily Really, like uh, I don't want to say used to this convers like this kind of conversation, but you know this is not their profession mm-hmm. um, to have an opportunity to participate uh, and come on the show because it's like yeah like it's a it's a huge it's a huge part of the evolution of cultural studies and pop culture studies. It's also just like we are all as researchers disciplined to think in certain ways. And so and when that's you bias as well. Yeah. And so when you get the chance to talk to other people's experiences with the same kinds of, you know, the same kinds of media, the same kinds of ideas who haven't had that kind of disciplinary training, you get a different kind of perspective. I was talking about this, you know, as in my current job, I do research on, on software uh, and to, to influence design. And it's really fascinating to be on a team of both researchers and designers because we look at the exact same questions and the exact same problems completely differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really cool. Cool and honestly, like kind of exciting. Um, and we had a long conversation about how, yeah, like this on Friday, just like about like, oh, as a as a designer, I see you know this field of like this this discipline, this practice in this way, doing X Y Z. Like as you know, this is my perspective as a designer, and I'm like, oh, well, here's my perspective as a researcher, and they're very different. And it wasn't a conversation of like, well, that's wrong, blah blah, because of blah blah blah. And it's like, no, these are different things. And when you're trying to actually build something and design something, having people with different perspectives is very helpful. Uh, It'd be fun if we did an episode on design. I mean, I know people. (laughs) Um, Obviously. um, But you know, despite all of the academic research and rigor and expertise, it doesn't help any of us when it comes to the box office game. It might, if I actually looked at these movie titles more than like the 20 minutes before we record. Okay, um, but let's, let's be real. The, the, the COVID pandemic thing has like, it's, it's there, there's no, we no predicting what will have happened over the next, uh, like from last no. year to like the end so of this how, year. How is the box office game going? It's going great. Because Mav at this current moment <laughs> is winning. <laughs> great. Good. Um, um, end it now. <laughs> no, we're not going to end it now. Um, so, so, um, Mav, would you like to share why you're winning the box office game? Because Shang Chi is out, and Shang Chi is doing great. Um, Shang Chi and Free, like the 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 movies that are number one and number two at the box office right now are Shang Chi and Free Guy, both of which are mine, and both of which are doing really, really well. Um, Shang Chi especially is doing like phenomenally well during you know for it's doing well it's doing phenomenally well for um for numbers not just pandemic numbers. I mean it would it would be make it'd be making like twice as much money if there wasn't. Well, so that's what Um, so this is the weird thing. So there's um I'm just gonna do like this is a whole nother episode, but you know I I love doing numbers. People know how I love charts and stuff. Um, there have been people who yeah who have been (laughs) making. 
a lot of noise about how how poorly Shang Chi is doing and how you know, and a lot of it is kind of mired in racism. But even there's honest opinions out there which are trying to say it's not doing well because it is the fifth worst opening for a Marvel movie and numbers don't lie. Pandemics it doesn't don't matter. It, it just at the end of the day, it is the fifth worst opening. And yeah, that's true. But pandemics do matter. And by fifth worst opening, um, it should also be noted that Marvel has never opened a movie on Labor Day before. Um, and Labor Day is actually not or Labor Day weekend is actually not the the best um, the best weekend to open movies. Traditionally, Shang-Chi is the um, it is the most successful Labor Day release in the United States domestic box office of all time. Not during by pandemics. Like 50 million, oh. I feel like. Like, um, like, well, by, by 50 more. million, but more, yeah. more, but more like 60, but more also yeah. like to, to make this clear by an order of by three, 300 percent. So it's the, the best it's it's the best release for Labor Day weekend ever. pandemic, Which basically yes. means if there hadn't been a pandemic on, it would have crushed yes. even harder. Yes, it, it it made ninety seven million dollars. The number two is like thirty two million. So yeah, it's like three times. And yeah, that's lower than most Marvel movies. Okay, there's a pandemic, but like that needs to matter. And um, so anyway, but because of that, that has me just barely in the lead in the um, in the box office game. Um, though it's it's really interesting because right now there's a effectively there's a three way tie between me, Hannah, and Katya. Um, Wayne's a little behind but he's still got a shot and um uh, but, if, if but, i had lost half my movies i'd be yeah. way ahead <laughs> wayne, wayne, let me for context wayne has had seven whole scratches and has two movies remaining <laughs> those two movies are last night in soho it's gonna do great i think last night in soho will be good and have a good magnetic <laughs> score halloween kills also has is going to be released on streaming and theater simultaneously so that's going to affect the overall box office and the reviews were not so great no but but wayne i will say you have black widow and jungle cruise and they like have held steady over yeah. the weeks right. uh mav has had six scratches and right. he yeah. yeah, but but he 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 has three movies remaining. One of which being Spider Man Three. The other two are Ghostbusters Afterlife, which honestly I don't know how that's going to do anymore. I really am like, does I anyone thought, care? I, th- I thought that got pushed next year again. No, it's 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 it's, it's moved a few times. Okay, um, but it's it, right now it's still in November and Encanto, which is the Disney movie that they're releasing for thirty days as opposed to forty five in theaters exclusively. Mm-hmm. Disney just announced they are um, releasing all of their movies mm-hmm. in theaters exclusively, which is good for me. Because I have six movies remaining, including right. Eternals. Um, I might also and- have Jackass, which I which got pushed, but it might have been pulled back. It's unclear to me exactly where Jackass is, but yeah, yeah. you've got you've got a real good shot. Yeah, and Katya has six um, left as well, um, including The Matrix Four. Mm-hmm. Which is so, the last two last week and a half of the year. So Katya could literally just end the game. Like like the you could just come out at the end and like Matrix Four could easily you know if if the pandemic's doing you know well. I, and mostly, actually, I, the could, only reason yeah. I have stakes in this is because I as people who listened last year know I find it endlessly funny that as a person who doesn't follow box office things or film in general as much as pretty much anyone else in the show. Uh, I, I always joke that it would take a pandemic for me to be able to win. 
and I, I did it. win. <laughs> now, as long as the pandemic continues, I want to you keep are that You are competitive. <laughs> I, I do want to point out a very interesting final metric, which is I have the highest Metacritic score on average, which is 73%. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, I'm winning in taste. And so as, as my as my <laughs> as my little Kantian self, is that not really what matters? No, Kantian is the lowest it's with 38% because she picked Ooh, Space Jam. That is my brand. Excuse <laughs> me. Space Jam, <laughs> Space Jam New Legacy is no oh, one Yeah, yeah, brand. that's oh, I forgot she had that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I win for taste. Um, and also and this, I... And this is where we get to the high-low conversation that has been dominating cultural studies. Yeah. Not dominating, but it's been part of cultural studies since forever. Monica, yeah. aren't you, aren't you excited to play this game next year? Always <laughs> wins and numbers. <laughs> aren't you excited to play this game next year, Monica? Uh, as someone who goes to the movies almost every week, yeah, <laughs> absolutely thrilled. <laughs> we'll have Movie Pass lost so much money on me. Me too. Um, <laughs> me too. Um, until recently, AMC A list lost so much money on me, even though they definitely like got some concessions money out of me since so so so, so we've resolved nothing <laughs> yeah we we can't uh i guess we could ask monica to predict who uh is going to win the box office game but that could be awkward for her i i want to know gonna pick favorites no, no. <laughs> put me in that position <laughs> yeah but see but you well, already you... signed me up to uh do the introduction next week and that's anxiety <laughs> enough i don't know <laughs> <laughs> apparently you've signed yourself up because uh Oh no, no, it was between me me and you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what next week's show is, but you know, this is true. Um I unions. Did. It's film unions. Oh, okay. Um, because we're also I mean okay. But you know, I, honestly, so. it might make sense for you to do the intro to the show next week. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if that's next week, because I actually thought it was going to be the um, the comic art thing. So we're not sure. Um, follow along. <laughs> it should be interesting. Um, I do. I mean, I always say this. You know, we we haven't had a show that's just us in a while. So, and again, this was Monica's first. So, thank you, Monica. But as um as Katya said earlier, I mean, I, I what I love about this show is I just love talking to you guys. So yeah. for for me, this is always you know one of the most fun things. I love you guys. I love doing the show with you and it, it's fun. And this is weird because this is, a, this is, you know, we didn't know what we were going to talk about. It's like what's on our mind, but it's been 180 shows and we just basically in an hour and a half hour, hour, I don't know, but you know, after editing, <laughs> we did, we just did a whole show on how this show works and why you should listen to it. Um, that, you know, it's great that we got to after 180 episodes. And then also you know? research methodology. Yes. And also, if you are looking for a good time, pick Twilight over Dracula 1992. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm okay. I would call Josh in here if he weren't busy, but we watched the Twilight saga together. Yeah, I know. Pandemics make weird times. And the first Twilight movie is genuinely funny. Like, on accident, probably. But genuinely funny. <laughs> Uh, I, I still maintain that Fast and Furious is the most important culturally relevant movie of um, our time. So you know, can we? Can, can everybody watch Free Guys so we can do a show on it? I have some yeah, ideas. It was, but Kanye, it's a romantic yeah, I, comedy I with do explosions. Want to see that. It was yes. good. It, it was yeah, so it, good. It was. Yeah, it was I highly really recommend. I've heard really good things about it. It was. It was, re- it was really good. Um, and just you we'll know, have to go to a movie theater though. Uh, it'll be on Disney Plus soon. I bet. Yeah, I mean it's. 
It's well, actually, maybe it should be. I don't know what they'd sold yeah, before. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, well, but yeah, it should be. Hard, it should like, be streaming soon. Cases are spiking, so I don't go yeah. places. Yeah, right. I'm not. I'm not suggesting you go to the movie theater. Just yeah. you know, later. It, yeah, it should be. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on you know, where you are. Like, you know, be you know, as much as I want to win the box office game, everyone should be safe. Um, um, where where I go to the movies, you know, I I literally have a row to myself. It's great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm the only one there, and I saw free guy yesterday it's delightful um because i also i i actually it is exactly the kind of movie that katya would love and oddly enough even more so just because you know this is things are on our, on our mind katya you would love shang chi i'm saying nothing about this oh, movie 100 sure i would love it i just don't go oh, to theaters no 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 more than you think it is literally oh. shang chi has everything that you want out of a movie in it <laughs> and I'm, I'm i'm explicitly not spoiling it but like i'm allowing your your imagination to go wild so that when you get so many things and i'm very yes, excited so about it. when you watch it you'll be like oh oh really yeah like they 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 produced a film for you very much so <laughs> like when i'm watching it i'm going oh wow katya's gonna love this it, it was just I, yeah, I'm, I'm literally looking into the mirror so i'm not going to say the name of this movie right now but um has anyone seen the new horror movie that's currently out in theaters <laughs> can't even <laughs> i'll yeah. say it i'm i am scared <laughs> i have not um, i don't like horror movies <laughs> i i think that like it's interesting i but it's also the movie that convinced me not to go to theaters anymore because everybody in my theater but me was eating popcorn and i was like i can't live like this so. <laughs> uh, um, anyway the thing anyway yeah so we continued we should we need to do more movie episodes is what this means um <laughs> Halloween anyway. is coming up. We should talk about horror again. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Let's find that vampire show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. That actually would be fun. We should t- talk about you know vampires and Draculas and stuff. So, um, Draculas plural, not because I think vampires are called Draculas, but because that, that, there's been so many versions of I, Dracula. I, 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 I think no, they're called Draculas now. That's that's not a rule. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's Draculi. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, so we've really resolved nothing at all. No, nothing no, at we've all. We've the Dracula is now the appropriate term, and I will. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, no guest to thank. So, thank you to all of my wonderful guys. <laughs> really do enjoy doing the show with you guys. Um, we've done most of the plugging that needs to be done. So, uh, in reverse order, Monica Marvelous, where can people find you? Oh, I don't want to plug me this week. I want to <laughs> okay. plug some public scholarship. Okay. Um, so, instead of going to visit me, I think you should check out. The Middle Spaces, which is a really yes. great uh, comics-based public scholarship website, which I have written for and have uh, nothing but positive things to say about. And mm-hmm. I think that you should check out um, the uh, Fashion and Race database, um, which is a really wonderful public scholarship uh, resource for people interested in uh, fashion, but also in the stories that you um, wouldn't usually find because it's by uh, in traditional library settings in the pages of Vogue Archive um, because of the active erasure of uh, designers of color throughout fashion history and its especially ephemeral nature. So I think those are two great resources and that's Middle Spaces and uh, Fashion and Race Database. 
and they're linked in the show notes and uh palindrome hannah i have no idea what i want to plug actually i uh the the new um episode of the final episode of brooklyn 99 is about to drop and i have a lot of thoughts about this season because it's interesting um so maybe if you want to catch up on that you can watch that and maybe we'll discuss it on the show or maybe i'll just text the host <laughs> about it and you'll never hear about this again um <laughs> I wonder, I mean, well, you know, as much as I mean, in middle spaces is great, like Monica said, you know, people should just like people should read our blog because, you know, we, we need more feedback on stuff and maybe we'd write more there. I don't, I wonder, you know, maybe you we should write stuff that's not just, well, yeah, I mean, I was gonna say maybe, maybe we should write stuff that's not even necessarily about shows, but we'll see. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Be a guest. I mean, yes. You know, I guess we can pl- I, I guess I, I could replug the uh, propaganda episodes from last year where we had great guests. Um Mm-hmm. And because uh, that is that is I think that the uh, discussion of that show um, is basically and like the contradictions in it is basically uh, realized in the final season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Also, there's a Corgi. <laughs> anyway, and it fascinates me. OK. And, and uh, Katya, who has no adjective. <laughs> Why don't I get an adjective? Because you, I don't, you, you never introduced yourself with an adjective. They did, even though Hannah doesn't remember. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm the Wayne's last name. Wayne, yeah, I'm Wayne's last name Wayne is an adjective. <laughs> and then, and when, when Hannah and Monica both introduced themselves to me, they both said some adjective in their name. That's how they, that's, so that's, that's the space they occupy in my head. <laughs> and that's why they get called that still. So pick one, and I'll call you that. Like Michael Jackson, you just be the king of pop, Katia Gorecki. It's far as i'm concerned i don't, I don't care <laughs> oh, i don't want that no <laughs> uh, uh, what do i want to plug uh because i don't actually exist on the internet anymore i am going to plug something stuff else. this week uh, you literally instagram stuff this week i saw you I put like four stories on about the fact that i have an apartment again <laughs> well, it was pretty and no one wants to see that if you want to see that you can find me on instagram at just that nerd kid um, <laughs> i mean they're gone by now but you know their stories have already right. faded now, your cat looked very happy there. My cat was very happy. She is solar powered and my new place has tons of windows which she can enjoy for approximately two weeks uh, before Portland becomes gray and rainy <laughs> until like June, which as an Oregon, someone who grew up in Oregon, like I, I love that shit. Uh, literally no one else does. <laughs> but uh, I am going to plug partially because it's a friend of mine and partially because I think their episodes are really cool and I hope they start making them again. I believe they've been on hiatus since May. Um, but the Black Movie Podcast uh, yes. by uh, yes. friend, uh, Ryan Henyard, who actually hope to have on the, epi- on the show again, where it's basically it's a celebration of Black culture in cinema, uh, reviewed uh, basically reviewing and discussing Black Lives films from a range of different genres and time periods um and it's a cool podcast and it's very thought-provoking to think about uh think more deeply for me about uh black cinema so and black cinema industry and black they should definitely start up on industry they definitely and, need to start up again because i want to yeah. be on that show like <laughs> which i, right in my, I actually want to be we'll on the show like, so, them on this show and then yeah. it'll be a crossover episode we can do a post but uh mm-hmm. great so yeah and we will link that wonderful show on the show notes if you can show them some love and i i feel like the first episode is about spider-man into the spider-verse which was delightful mm-hmm. they have shows on spider Spider-Man and uh, Into the Spider-Verse, uh, The Last Dragon, Aquila and the Bee. They've got us. They've got school days. They've got all kinds of stuff. You, mm-hmm. you should just, you should just, you should do it. You should do it. Do it. School days. School days is a wonderful movie that you should absolutely see if you've not seen it. 
Um, yeah, I, I told him that I want to I want to come on. I, I want them to watch The Five Heartbeats, which is uh, one of my favorite films. I'm also trying to get protagonists. You know, our, we plug protagonists all the time. I'm trying to get them to do an episode on Five Heartbeats because it's a movie that I adore. It, it is a, it is a it, I mean, it is one can, of the we can we can yeah. do that episode and then just bring can, them on and then uh, we'll be great. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. And uh, Wayne, everybody else is is promoting other things I, I i've got nothing new this week um just a show i've been watching it's on hulu that i'm just finding adorable is reservation dogs um just yeah uh Teiko watiti is a producer and co-writer of some of it um it's uh four teenagers native american teenagers living on a reservation and uh it's heartwarming it's just it's so Aww. much fun and and it's heartwarming and just it's a show that's making me feel good right now so so yeah, I am just recommending it. I get I get no residuals from that. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the most important kind of show, right? A show that makes yeah. you feel good during a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it, they're they're short half hour episodes. Uh, it drops every Monday. I think there are six currently available. So yeah, just I am just thoroughly enjoying it. So, mm-hmm. so that's my plug. Well, I, I'll be more self serving and plug myself, but also, but also sort of something else with public scholarship. Uh, this week in the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, um, I have. A, a review of the book Black Nerd Problems, which is a compilation of essays from the Black Nerd Problems website, which is um, it, it's public scholarship over pop culture by random black nerds. Hence the very <laughs> the, the very accurately named um, um, uh, title. Um, I enjoyed the book. Spoilers for reading my review, but, you know, read my review anyway and, you know, go check out their website, which I've never written for, but but I do enjoy sometimes. Um, beyond that, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. All of the places always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show. All those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where we talk about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor. Leave us a five star review especially on apple Podcasts, itunes that helps other people find the show by making us more popular goosing the algorithm and it makes us happy it makes me smile um i need it you know like i said it's a, it's a pandemic the most important thing in in the world right now is making me specifically smile that is what, that's what this is all about um you should also subscribe to our youtube channel which i'm i'm behind on i've been working on dissertation stuff i've been really really busy guys i'm so sorry but um when i catch up you will find episodes of this show visually enhanced episodes of this show and visually enhanced episodes of my other podcast gosh golly wow um two podcasts for the price of one which is free I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing this out. I'd once again like to thank all of my co-hosts because I love you guys and I enjoy this every week. I'd like to thank you at home for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.